Welcome to GP's Pangeo Perspectives, your guide to global growth, where we explore opportunities and ideas that come with global team building, business expansion, and compliance for companies everywhere. Hello, everyone. Pangeo is an idea inspired by the 300 million year old supercontinent, Pangea, when the Earth's landmasses were united as one. Today, the world is reuniting once again, as businesses everywhere seek opportunities beyond borders and boundaries. So let's explore the future of business with voices from around the world, as we look for success we all can share. Welcome to GP's Pangeo Perspectives, your guide to global growth. On today's show, we're going to talk about how traditional HR and employment practices are being overhauled by several factors, seemingly all at once, the prevalence of remote work, employees shifting priorities and preferences regarding benefits, work-life balance and mental health, and the very relationship between companies and employees in changing times. So how can globally-minded companies keep a pulse on attractive employment offerings across a variety of markets, with talent retention always in their sights? For this conversation, I'm joined by Miguel Santos, Global Benefits Practice Director, and Andrea Goodkin people and technology practice leader at Hub International. It's great to have you both here. Hi, Thomas. Great to be here. Thank you, Thomas. And I'm your host, Thomas Merchant, Director of International Brand Management at GP. Now let's get started. So today, we're talking about disrupting traditional HR and employment practices. Miguel, could you tell us what's going on out there and how disruption is taking place? And what are the challenges and opportunities it's unlocking? Well, Thomas, employee needs and interests are quite different today than they were five years ago, or at least they've come out onto the open. The recent turnover behavior has resulted in companies having groups of employees with different characteristics and individual needs. The shortages in filling jobs in some sectors, that has really empowered employees to be significantly more influential in defining the total rewards package. There are several new challenges that HR needs to contend with, starting off with you know meeting the unique needs of the different groups around the workforce, maintaining and introducing flexibility, meeting employees, whether or not in work and also in life, or establishing rewards programs that address the whole person. The disruption in employment practices also raises the question about the company's culture. What is our culture today? Where do we want it to be? And how do we keep it there? So all these challenges actually introduce a number of opportunities. You know, it's really starting with your culture communicate differently the why behind your benefits. Why do you provide them? This also provides companies with a great opportunity to upgrade and modernize programs, leverage data and deliver integrated solutions, as well as disrupting the established practice with new and creative ideas to minimize employee distraction. Wow, very interesting stuff. Thank you for that, Miguel. Now over to you, Andrea. In your role, you're working on new practices every day. Could you give us a little before and after overview of how these practices are being rethought and reshaped? Thanks, Thomas. I have spent my entire career in human resources. And over that lifetime, like many other HR professionals, have spent a significant amount of focus separating personal life from work life and separating those elements in the work that I do in terms of separating what happens with employees personal life and happens in the work life. Well, the biggest change to really hit human resources has been stepping into that whole person arena where today it's all about 
meeting employees where they're at in work and in life and bringing all of those elements together in a way that we never have before. Specifically, HR needs to be digging into utilization of data. Data is available to us today in a way that it really hasn't before. And we're looking at data in a different way, looking at what's available to us and how we're slicing and dicing it, looking across our workforce in terms of not only generations, but looking at how long employees have been with our organization and where they are in their life, you know, looking at them in a persona perspective and identifying cohorts in the workplace to help us better identify what needs might be beneficial for the workforce. And that gets to really understanding employee needs. We have to lean in and as HR professionals and leaders really understand what our employees are needing today. And this means looking beyond traditional benefits. I mean, the reality is that a significant portion of the population doesn't really care about traditional benefits anymore. It's about so many other things. And because of that, we find that a lot of employees get left behind. And this really leads to this concept about human-centric work environments, you know, approaching the work environment, it really prioritizes the needs and preferences and well-being of employees. This forces us to really be agile and help to lead and lean into that employee experience. It's pushing decision-making out to our frontline leaders, helping them to really be able to promote these human-centric methods. Wow. I love that. I mean, it's come leaps and bounds. That whole idea of persona with your employee, it's usually your prospects or your customers that you create the personas around. I love that there's a persona using the data to get a persona around the employees that are working for you. So there are changing expectations here that are key. And now that companies have access to wider talent pools and talent has access to wider job markets, the equation really has changed. What are the expectations of both companies and talent now? And how can HR departments meet these expectations and benefit both parties? Andrea? Yeah, the equation really has changed. And from the company perspective, companies are really expecting to have access to talent without borders, expecting that recruitment process, employment terms, rewards that are offered to really be consistent and the same as they were you know, within their own borders. Candidates, it's very interesting, candidates at the front end are really clear on what they're expecting to see and learn about through a recruitment process, testing job advertisements. Candidates are expecting to see transparent information about salary, salary ranges, benefits, job location, commute time, employee reviews. Those were gray areas in the past. You didn't really touch on that. You stayed away from those topics. It's a real shift. It is a shift. And I'll tell you, as an HR person, I can say this, it makes HR people very uncomfortable. Sure, yeah. Talking so transparently with candidates about salary, having these conversations about what the image of your organization is in the community where you're recruiting, in the industry, in the marketplace, globally, those are things that candidates are demanding to know about and, and businesses have to be transparent if they're going to create that trust. And trust is created before you hire the person. Trust is created through that acquisition process and through that onboarding process. And if businesses aren't able to follow through on that, that's where you get that short-term turnover. That's right. They're not going to be able to retain the top talent. Very interesting stuff. So talent definitely expects to receive certain things, right? Benefits, 
fair and I imagine competitive compensation, flexible schedules, hybrid workplaces. How can companies ensure they are offering the right mix of benefits to meet the specific needs of their workforce? Miguel, any thoughts? Well, Tom, you know, the reality is that a significant portion of your population sees no value in traditional benefits. Medical is not the biggest company expense, noise pensions. Turnover and decreased productivity are way more costly than all these benefits. Employee disengagement, absences, these are costing businesses a lot of money in terms of lower productivity, increased usage, you know, in the medical plans, in the dental plans, pharmacy and disability plans. And also in terms of there is suboptimized recruiting and training experience. So, you know, you're asking, okay, what can companies do about this? Well, you know, as I mentioned earlier, first of all, communication. They can communicate why they're providing the benefits, have employees understand and have a perception of the value of the benefits that are provided to them. You know, it's not just about the traditional benefits. It's not just about the medical, dental, life, retirement. There are a lot of other benefits provided by companies. Absence happens. Employees need to be absent for one reason or another. Companies should look at upgrading, modernizing their leave programs. It's interesting to note that the U.S. is probably the only country in the world that has no nationwide mandate to provide any sort of leaves. Most of the countries already provide paid leaves, you know, be it vacation, be it family leaves. Some countries have very generous maternity leaves. But even then, you know, those countries are looking at upgrading, companies are looking at providing enhanced maternity, paternity, looking at overall parental leaves, you know, making sure that there's a balance between the two, which then brings me to another thing that companies could look at is do a total rewards quantification, determine what's the economic value of all your benefits. You know, you have a lot of benefits in kind, which employees don't really perceive the value, you know, how much are they really worth? For example, in some, in many countries, statutory benefits can cost up to 50% of your salary. Yet many employees, and I think, uh, Tom, you're in France, and I think you should, <laughs> you have, you have uh, an idea of that. You know, many employees have no idea that the company is spending so much money on social statutory benefits, much less, you know, what they derive out of that value. So these are all things, you know, companies can look at. Okay, so they have to plan and design benefit programs and policies for new and existing workforces. What strategies can HR implement to create attractive benefit programs and policies that include aspects such as work-life balance, mental health, and international mobility? I think that might be a big one. First of all, understand the makeup of your workforce. Do you have different groups? You mentioned different personas that have different needs. You know, you've got groups that are maybe young and single. You may have groups of part-time employees that are actually family caregivers. And you may have a group of some older employees that have tremendous skills that can be transmitted to some of the younger ones, but they are perhaps you know, thinking more about retirement. So all these different groups have their own unique needs. It's also important to gain and obtain employee feedback, get the perspectives of the workplace you know, to ensure that they feel that it is human-centric. And this can be done in a variety of channels, such as surveys, focus groups, exit, stay surveys. You mentioned, let's say, in your, in your question, international mobility, and that's actually a good example. This also, to me, raises the question of preparedness. HR need to fully understand what benefits they are providing and the implications and delivery of that benefit. For example, if you want to allow an employee to go live in another country, you know, in a, at an office, at your own office in another country for a temporary period of time, there are many things to consider. Who's going to pick up the relocation costs? Who's going to deal with immigration issues? What benefits are you going to provide these individuals while they're there? 
So there's a great deal of research and planning that goes into this for HR. So they need to really be prepared, you know, when offering these new benefits. I'll just add, when we talk about, you know, we've mentioned this a couple of times. It's one of my favorite topics these days, human centricity, human centric, people centric workplaces. And again, these are workplaces that really focus on the needs and interests of the workforce. And it especially centers around getting their input because we can't presume to understand the needs if we don't actually lean into that and seek to understand what are the unique needs across the workforce. And if we can do that, understanding, you know, getting employees input around work, policy, program, benefit design, this all pays significant dividends. And Tom's HR teams who are able to view this post-pandemic work world as an opportunity to redesign how they operate, and they can move their organization to these higher levels of performance and, and stand a better chance in really competing for talent. So there's so much to learn from where we came. I love the human-centric focus. One of our mottos is behind every hire is a human. We forget sometimes it's just a hire and there's a human behind every hire. So I love that human-centric focus. And it sounds like you really encourage empathy with the worker and what they're experiencing and going through so that you can cater to them better. When you say the word empathy, it makes me think about that is so true. And one of the things about a people-centric work environment is that it's our leaders that are really driving that. And it's through empathy and empathetic leadership that a human-centric culture can really evolve and thrive. And then the last piece, you know, there's so much of this discussion today is around human resources and how human resources can support and, and drive these our leadership needs support resources, training on how to do these things, how to drive a human-centric workforce, because we already talked, you know, we're talking about disruption and, and suddenly we're in this place where we're wanting to understand what our employees are thinking, feeling, needing, wanting in work and at life. And again, that makes people uncomfortable because we just haven't gone there in the workplace until now. And so one of the things that I really encourage HR leaders to do is not forget about training for managers, supervisors, leaders in an organization because they will absolutely benefit from that boost and help getting to those places. And empathy is one of those. You have to try to do that. It's not always easy, especially when it's different cultures, but empathically attuning to your workforce can bring about huge amounts of change. So what role do HR departments play and how can they respond to all these changing expectations, Andrea? I mean, there's a lot of changes here. And beyond that, how can they turn their approach into a competitive advantage? Isn't that the real opportunity here? There are many challenges and many opportunities, absolutely. You know, an area where I'll dig into a little bit, it's around digital literacy for one thing. There is a knowledge gap for basic computer skills across the workforce. And HR can really help by changing its recruiting and hiring practices and building in digital skills across the workforce. We spend so much time now talking about the evolution of technology and how it's changing everything from communication tools to utilizing AI and machine learning. Well, our workforce has to be able to engage, and this means reskilling, upskilling, retooling, and, and we just have to help our employees to be able to keep pace with that digital evolution and, and the expectations that we as businesses have around those skills that the workforce will have. And staying with uh, you know artificial intelligence and automation, as this continues to evolve, this ideally, if we think about HR teams, ideally, 
that's going to free individuals up to focus on more engaging work, complex work, things like strategic planning. Another area that I find really interesting that's evolving these days is this concept of people experience departments. This is kind of an emerging concept and it's, you know, focusing on employees' life experiences and development. And HR can really, you know, shift that perspective from that employment experience to the life experience. And then not to be cliche, but we all know that hybrid work is here to stay. And, you know, from an HR perspective, it's, you know, how do we figure out how this element is an enhancement? You know, it used to be flexible work or working from home. It was a a benefit or a perk that was reserved for a certain few. And now that's really turned on its ear. We also need to think about those jobs where hybrid work or, or working from home or working from elsewhere is not possible. And how do we continue to engage that part of the workforce and help that part of the workforce to feel that they're receiving the same benefits and the same level of work experience as their peers who who might have the ability to work remotely. So the last thing I'll point out from an HR perspective, there's always the legal landscape and managing risk. And so I always encourage HR leaders to, of course, as you're putting these programs in place to coordinate closely with legal compliance, risk management, really stay ahead of the curve and there's enough change going on that to be able to implement programs and not have to change them because there's something structurally wrong with it is where you want to be. A lot of moving parts there. And there's no doubt that the new technologies have created dramatic innovations that touch point here on hiring, on paying, training, and governing organizations. So Andrea, how can companies keep the technology part that you talked about and the people part that we talked about previously in sync to improve their employees' experience? Yeah, I mean, technology plays such a critical role. It enhances productivity, communication, collaboration. It also, and we need to keep this in mind, it really does improve employee well-being and satisfaction. I mean, a majority of employees talk about feeling that they would be more productive with better workplace technology. Tech tools, they're designed to not only improve efficiency, and work processes, but again, to create a better work-life balance. And so if we think about flexibility that we've just been talking about, technology, it enables that remote work and flexible schedules and working from wherever makes sense. And so when we talk about the intense need to create work-life balance and reduce stress for employees, technology tools are so critical. And technology also facilitates communication and collaboration among employees. Team work, again, not to be cliche, and I, I mean, working as teams is a significant trend and growing, and that is the way that we are working today. And so then when you put on top of that, working remotely or across borders and you know having that technology in place to facilitate that is critical. I mentioned earlier about creating a workforce that empowers frontline leaders and supervisors to make decisions, and we're pushing that decision-making out. Well, the only way to make that successful is to have connectivity through technology, right? Data-driven decision-making. Again, you know, going back to looking at our workforces in a different way and being able to slice and dice the data that we've always had. We just haven't used it in these different ways. If you have technology that really helps you to collaborate across time zones, cultures, in a virtual way that's effective and efficient, it's just a win-win for everyone. And we have to be careful about that also, because the flip side of that is the virtual world and the world without borders, it's fantastic. It also creates an environment where it is 
challenging to create boundaries. And that's also one of the challenges on the other end of the perspective for human resources groups and departments is creating in such a flexible environment, how to help employees to create boundaries and structure for themselves in a very unstructured fashion. And again, I talk about this a lot where we just can't assume that our leaders just magically have skills to work with teams that now have such flexibility. And there's a lot of organization that goes into that from a leadership perspective, especially when you're trying to build cohesive teams and productive teams. That's a lot of work as well, that work-life balance, creating the connections. So much of what we talk about on the show comes down to creating cultural connections, right? And I think this is a perfect place to talk about this because you need to have connections, whether it's through technology, to really work in a collaborative and balanced way. And so these cultural connections, both across country borders and boundaries, but also within companies themselves, right? So how can companies promote a culture of innovation and experimentation in their HR employment practices? And what role do employees play in driving this change? Because they've got to have a part in it too, right? Absolutely. From an HR perspective, what can HR professionals do? Number one, hire for innovation, identify people who can think outside the box, who have the skills and qualities to learn how to work in these more flexible, wide open environments and create a culture of innovation. And so much of this is driven from leadership, leadership being open and supportive of innovative cultures and training our workforce, training our employees and rewarding around innovation. We want to reinforce this commitment to innovative culture, motivating the right behaviors and and trends. Miguel, I'll hand that over to you. Yeah, companies need to support innovation and creativity. You know? And one way of going by that is, you know, empower the workforce, it create a culture of trust and autonomy where you have clear and defined visions and values. Have your employees ever say, have your employees ever say in terms of what benefits they want, what are their needs, have them be more open to you so that you can define your own culture as a company and not simply do you know what your competitors are doing. Don't just look at what other companies are doing. Try to understand the needs and the desires of your own employees. And you know, it's okay to challenge and disrupt the status quo. It's okay to fail, you know, experiment and and, and learn. I remember working many years ago in Belgium. The Belgian government had just introduced a new law on defined contribution pension programs where they mandated or they obliged employers to give a minimum return guarantee. Now, that minimum return guarantee was actually fairly low. It was a small percentage. So what value are the employees actually getting out of those defined contribution plans? And I remember at the time, you know, we were, we were there. I was working there, as I mentioned. We approached some insurance company who started looking at products, you know, if they had some mutual funds that we could invest in shares and other assets. And we ultimately got a few to develop a product. We joined to develop a product with them where the employees could invest more freely, you know, going in the stock market and so on. And nevertheless, still have that minimum return, which was guaranteed, you know, which was something that employees had to guarantee. And that's essentially where institutional cash balance plans in Belgium were born. And now, you know, these products are are very much widespread. Yeah, and giving the employees a say in their investment and, and how it's being managed. Well, we talk a lot about the everywhere workforce, right? Talent located all over the world, literally. So should HR departments plan and design programs and policies for each country? And what needs to be taken into consideration here if that's the case? Miguel? I'll answer by saying, generally speaking, yes. 
HR needs to consider that laws, national cultures, employee needs are different around the world. Tax is often a big driver of employee benefits in, in many countries where you know taxation is high and there are tax advantages on employee benefits. You know, these tax regimes also change from country to country. If you look at countries like, as I mentioned, Belgium or many countries in Europe, you know, you're looking at income tax rates over 50%. That's very high. On the other hand, you know, if you go to countries in the Middle East, there are no income taxes. So, you know, there's perhaps certain benefits like savings or maybe not as much as a driver from a tax perspective. So all these things, you know, HR obviously need to look at. The other thing is social benefits, statutory benefits. They also vary widely from country to country. You know, I always find that kind of funny, you know, in the US, medical is usually the biggest benefit, the thing that everybody wants to implement because, you know, there is no social medical healthcare system. Now, that being said, that doesn't mean that shouldn't be common factors that fit in with the company's culture. Programs should meet the local requirements, but at the same time, they should also be consistent with corporate policies. Companies, as far as employee benefits are concerned, they should consider setting up their own global benefits or total rewards philosophies with a set of guiding principles that each company can adapt that are not necessarily prescriptive, but that you know are really saying, look, this is our philosophy. These are some principles that we'd like to apply. And you know, then each country should take those principles and fit them into their local circumstances and you know, obviously the national laws and regulations. Some companies that we've had actually go as far as setting a framework for a minimum set of benefits, core benefits, minimum benefit levels. For example, a life insurance. A life insurance may not be seen as a very important benefit by employees don't perceive that as an important benefit. Nevertheless, it is important. So, you know, some companies can say, well, let's set a minimum level, let's say one-time salary as an example. Across the board, we want to ensure that at least that even if the employees then have a choice, they can opt up. And if they want more, they can they can provide something else. But at least, you know, we're ensuring that regardless of what happens, our employees at least are covered for a minimum for this minimum level. So those are things that you know HR and companies can do at a global level to ensure some consistency and some respect of their own cultures. So there's an overarching sort of framework that's adhered to in each country and then sort of customized depending on the local laws and situations for the benefits there. Makes great sense. So this brings us to our closing question. Today's episode has been all about disrupting traditional HR and employment practices. Miguel, Andrea, could you share any final words of advice for businesses and HR leaders as they are striving to meet talent expectations, hire successfully, stay competitive, and most importantly, retain top talent? For me, I feel like we have to ask ourselves, how well do you really know your current employees that show up to work on Monday morning or whatever day of the week and however it is that they show up? How well do we know them and their current needs? And this is really the foundation of a people-centered or human-centered work environment. It's our responsibility. We have to seek to understand, really understand our employee populations and what drives them. Yeah, great answer. It's all about the human being, the individual. Miguel, any thoughts you'd like to add? For my part, I would say, ask yourself the question, how does your current talent brand, how does your recruitment strategy, how does your total rewards strategy resonate with unique needs of the different groups of employees? Your new entrants, employees that you may be hiring, where are you going to hire them from? Contract workers, your part-time employees, hybrid workers or remote workers, you know, how does all this resonate with them? 
how you factor then personalization into your total reward strategy, or you're just providing a one-size-fits-all kind of strategy. I mean, no, no company can operate without people. You know, we'll talk about AI and, you know, that may at some point replace some tasks of people, but ultimately a company really is its people. That's really what I would say, you know, think about your employees, put them first. There's a saying I love that is, good ideas make things possible. It's good people that make things happen. And to do that, you've got to be focused on your workforce. I want to say a huge thank you to Miguel and Andrea for joining us today to explore how the world of HR is being reshaped and the new and exciting ways companies can offer benefits to attract global talent. And thank you to our listeners. We hope you gained some valuable insights from the conversation. And if you enjoyed the show, please follow us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And if you prefer to watch our episodes, you can find all of our recorded content at g-p.com slash podcasts. I'm Thomas Merchant, and this has been Angeo Perspectives, presented by GP. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>